Nothing discussed with Deborah Zeisman in this conversation is meant to diagnose or treat any condition or takes the place of talking with your own healthcare professionals. Aloha, everyone, and welcome to From Anxiety to Clarity. We took a few weeks off. A lot has been happening. As you probably know, Oahu is under a stay-at-home order that we've had since the 27th of August, and it looks like that's probably going to be continuing, and with possible greater restrictions for the Big Island, too, as cases have been accelerating there as well as on Oahu and not decreasing as had been the hope. We also watched a lot of drama happen at the Department of Health with the announced retirement of Director Bruce Anderson, also now the paid leave of uh, Dr. Sarah Park. And also we've seen Dr. Emily Roberson come back after her announced paid leave until she said there were um, better, better reporting discussions happening there and real understanding of what the structure is. There's been a lot of drama everywhere, but especially at the Department of Health. So that's the backdrop where we are now. We want to take a look at how this has all been affecting families and children in today's episode. And joining us is the Executive Director of the Hawaii Children's Action Network, Deborah Zeisman. Aloha, Deborah. Aloha, Bethann. It's good to talk to you. We know that since the very, very beginning of the pandemic and so much of what we saw happening, HICAN was right out there advocating for families and kids and classrooms uh, with a lot of information that you were gathering. You've done two surveys. I want to talk to you a little bit about both of those and the changes in between. And also how you are just hearing back from a lot of the folks that you serve and what you're seeing through that big lens of both you know, policy and change that you've been advocating for a long time, as well as what we've been experiencing in the very, very near term. So I really thank you for spending sure. the next half hour, 40 minutes with us to talk about all of this. Happy you are... We, yeah, we have, yeah. Been, we have been busy, I think, right? So uh, at Hawaii Children's Action Network, our mission every day for the last 20-some years is really advocating for the the health, the safety, the education, the well-being of Hawaii's children. And we realized really quickly at the very beginning, way back in March, which feels like eons ago, that we were going to have to pivot and pivot really fast, um, which I'm happy. My, I have a small but mighty team, um, and then we have lots of volunteers, um, because there were things we were working on, just our existing things with the legislature and county councils and things like that. And we realized early on that this was going to be huge and just really a huge impact on children and families, especially some of our most vulnerable, like our lowest income, our non-English speaking families. And we just said, this is going to be major. And how, how are we going to have to stand up and mobilize and fight to make sure that um, we do the best we can, right? We know there's a lot of struggles, but that we can put as many supports and structures in place to support families um, to kind of minimize the damage that we see in this. So We've been, so, it's been so, a really busy six months. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, so here we are six months later. Yeah. As you're looking back over your shoulder with sort of the, you know, the hills and valleys that we've seen with COVID and mm-hmm. now the greater restrictions that we're seeing, especially for Oahu, how are families reacting to all of this, which seems to be like you know, a merry-go-round of, of here we go again? How are they responding to all of yeah. that? Yeah, I, I think when you talk to families, um, it's true for my family, I think as well, people almost describe it like a roller coaster, right? You're having, um, it's just up and down. Nobody knows how to plan. 
Uh, people don't know, do I have a job this week? Do I not have a job next week? Uh, will we be open? Will we be closed? Are the parks open? Uh, what can I and can I not do with my, with my family right now? Are schools going to be open? Are schools going to be closed? So I feel like it's been this time of really major uncertainty. And, and then we know that also we've seen very high levels, both in Hawaii and nationally, of, of stress, um, anxiety, and, and worry. So there's actually some data on that um, that's been collected as well. So um, those, are, those are really concerning things. On a lot of levels. Uh, you've done a couple of surveys. You did one earlier in COVID mm -hmm. and you did one last, I'm sorry, in July. Um, yeah. As you saw the differences between those two things, what especially impressed you about how people were really being able to move through this successfully or not? Well, the surveys we did were really particular to um, child care and people's child care needs. I do think nationally we've seen uh, what's called the Household Pulse Survey, which is really fascinating. It's being done by the Census Bureau. And they are doing weekly um, data with, with everyone. But you can actually look at um, families with children and how they're doing or not. And they started this early. They started, it started back in April. It's every week to get a pulse, right? That's the name of the survey. How are people doing? And they're looking at things like unemployment, at food security, at um, social emotional. And so for Hawaii families, I pulled this up ahead of time because I, I think it's a really good thermometer for us. Um, two of the questions they asked were, have you been worried more than um, half the days in the last week, I think? And for Hawaii families with children, that number has ranged from between 26% to 38%, depending on the week. So at least a quarter to almost a half of people are saying they are worried more than half the days. They have extreme worry. That's of concern. And then the same thing they're asking about anxiety, like you're having anxiety. And that has been the same range. That's like over a third of families with children under 18 mm. are saying that they're feeling like extreme anxiety right now which is probably tied in with some of the other stuff they're collected, which is collecting, which is showing um, like 15% of our families are food insecure right now, meaning you have had multiple days in the last week where you have not been certain that you will have enough food in your house to eat. That's high, like 15% of families in Hawaii. Not, that, that's an extreme worry, right? If you don't know how you can put food on your table. I would it's, it's huge. That's out. a very basic right? need. Basic yeah. need. And then the other basic need they've been measuring is, um, do you feel confident you can pay next month's rent or mortgage? And for Hawaii, it's been, depending on the week, because it's every single week they check in, it's been between 20 and 40% of families saying they don't feel confident. They have no confidence or only a minimal amount of confidence that they can pay mm. rent the next month. So really high. We're talking about like a third of our community with, with kids right now, not being certain they can pay rent not being certain they can put food on the table. And I think then it really correlates to people saying that they have a high degree of worry, a high degree of anxiety. Um, the surveys that we've done with families are looking more at, can you access, like, do you need child care? Child care and, and, and school. Yeah. And school, like, how do you feel about it? That's also been kind of going like, like, like this, Bethann, right? Um, families are stuck in this really horrible kind of bind right now that you have, some families like mine, like this is my office right now, right? I work at a job where I have a laptop and, a, you know, it's like a white collar enough job that I can work remotely. We have a lot of families in Hawaii, though, that 
cannot work remotely. Mm -hmm. Their jobs do not translate that way. They, so they're either currently unemployed, that's one set of problems, or they're needing to go to work. If they work in the healthcare industry, they work in a grocery store, you know, all that we have lots of essential workers. Um, people have not been feeling that great about sending their children to childcare. That's what our surveys have shown. They're worried about it from a health perspective. And at the same time, they are desperately needing some place to send their children because they need to go to work. And that's now been compounded with schools being shut doing distance learning, right? So normally when we're talking about childcare, we're often thinking about the babies, right? The babies up to preschool. Now we have all the elementary age kids as well that should not be left at home. That becomes a child welfare call if you're leaving your second grader home alone all day while you go to work. Uh, that is not safe. We don't want to see that happening. But a lot of people um, don't have a lot of options right now. So that's one of the big things we've been working on are some of the both economic supports for families. How do we get people just cash support? And how do we make sure that if they do need to go to work, there are options for them where they can send their children. And you mentioned healthcare and other first responders who need to be there, yeah. who need to be able to serve and can't be there with their minds thinking about their children and some who have just called off because they can't be there physically, which then obviously compromises what we're able to do in combating COVID and, and serving those patients and, and hospitals in general that have the need for their services. Um, and obviously we're having to import a lot of staff just to be able to meet the increased need, let alone those that have not been able to be at work yes. because they're worried about their families. So yes. what has been happening then to be able to offer childcare for families? Because it comes down to a really sad choice when uh, a family, particularly a single headed family has to make the decision to go to work and leave a small child at home and then do yes. hourly check-ins or whatever may be possible to assure that child's safety or to try to find some other place for that child to be that's not a traditional child care situation where, again, you may have COVID walk into that family. Right. Yes. And there are, there are some options, Bethann, but there needs to be more and some of them need to be long-term. So there's a few different things depending on your family situation and your job situation is kind of what we're telling folks. And I should note, we have a lot of these resources on our website. So if folks want you know, to get more in-depth and there's links and things like that, folks can go to the Hawaii Children's Action Network website and, and read it, right? Um, so thing number one that I actually think is amazing that's happened is Congress passed the Family First Coronavirus uh, Response Act really back at the beginning of the pandemic. And it affords paid sick days or paid family leave to many, many, but not all workers. So for example, essential workers are likely not covered. However, folks like teachers have been covered. We've seen teachers start to use it. Um, my family is using it at the moment. So, um, but if you're an essential worker, it's really up to your employer. Your employer can say, you may use the sick days or the family leave, or no, I need you at the hospital because you're an essential worker. Uh, but it's really the first time that for many workers, they've had paid sick days and paid family leave. Um, it is up to two thirds of your pay while you're off. And it can be used when your child's school or childcare is closed or doing distance learning. So for example, my family has elementary age children and I am doing a partial 
family leaves so that I can help them a few hours each day with their distance learning because I found it wasn't really working. So, um, and the nice piece is employers are not paying for it. You're actually reimbursed. My employer is reimbursed by the federal government as part of the whole coronavirus package. So families can get the time off, even if it's not like I need to be off completely, it's I need an hour off or two hours off. You have to work with your employer on that. Um, but it's, it's, it's fairly generous. So the, the paid family leave is actually up to 12 weeks. Our concern right now is it expires at the end of 2020. So that's one of the things we're working on now is we don't think the pandemic is going to be over at the end of 2020. You know, back maybe in March and April when the Congress was negotiating this, they thought, oh, short term, COVID-19 will be done, right? So as everyone but, thought, right? As everyone, as everyone hoped, right? But I think we're now realizing no. So I know we are really advocating that that paid sick day. So it's for if you're sick, but also if you need to be doing that caregiving right now. Um, and a lot of people don't know about it. We're actually sort of trying to promote it because so many people don't realize that it's, that it's an option for them and their employer gets paid back actually so that the employer is not paying for their time off. So that's option one. Um, our Department of Human Services has been, in my opinion, really great. They've actually applied for all these different like waivers that are like to be able to change and do childcare things differently than pre-pandemic. The federal government told states you can be really flexible right now, and our Department of Human Services has been, which is great. So right now there are child care subsidies, payments, for people at virtually any income level. Beforehand, it was really only for very low-income families, but right now, if you need child care for your child, I should note it's mostly for children under age five. There is a smaller amount you can get if you have an elementary age child up to age 12, but it's only for like after school. So like that two to six o'clock kind of period. Um, but tons of people who were not eligible for a childcare subsidy pre-pandemic are likely eligible right now. That also expires December 31. So again, that's another like kind of great support that is there. We're trying to make sure people you know, can get it and use it. Now, childcare, there are not as many options right now. That's one of the issues. So you might be able to get um, funding help if you are one of those essential workers you need to go to right. work. Right, and if you're willing to be home and if you can be home, but for those who can't, can be home. Yeah. not. But before you go on to the next one though, because many people don't know about those subsidies and that right. really hasn't been promoted a whole lot or promulgated throughout the community. So what have you been doing to be able to get the word out to a lot of people? Because they're going to hear this now, some of them for the very first time. Yeah. So we've been doing like social media marketing. We've had, you know, ads on Instagram and um, Spotify and things like that. I do think it's one of the areas we've been telling Department of Human Services to promote more, that they did a great job making this benefit available to more people and they haven't really marketed it, right? It's just been like this hidden thing or it's happening via word of mouth. So um, we're trying to help. So things like this also, we're trying to help get the word out. Mm -hmm. Um, there are links on our website, so if folks um, want to go there, you know, there is some paperwork involved to get it with Department of Human Services, but um, there always there, is. There always is, and, <laughs> but, but there's also case, resources well to help walk you through the yeah. paperwork. If you don't know how to do it, um, it's complicated, there's some resources there. So there's some, like, fact sheets and things on how to get it on our site, but we've not been doing, like, a big ad campaign or anything saying, hey, you can get help right now. So it's a really hidden benefit, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. 
But do you think that that's been really a, a big mistake, not just with the Department uh, of Human Services, but in general, because this is one of the things that you know, the governor had talked about early on about when child care facilities were open and why yeah. they were keeping them open. But it seemed like this really didn't migrate into a public sphere so that people could find out and use this, especially when we could have used them. And obviously, it's easier to look yeah. over our shoulder. But as we go forward, especially knowing that we are likely facing uh, several more weeks of lockdown until uh, yeah. we're, we're able to see those cases come under 150 cases on a daily basis and hopefully a lot under 150 um, and, and, and not perpetuate these situations that we've been having where it's been up, down, in, out, as we talked about a little earlier in the conversation for people not really knowing what side of the merry-go-round or what side of the, the wave they were on today. So, right. you know, trying to yeah. get these things out to everybody, any work that you're doing with the governor, with the LG, with government in general. I know you made a, a really nice presentation to the House Special COVID Committee, mm -hmm. but yeah. anything more on that where we're really going to see this in the public sphere for people who need it? Because we're only talking about a few more months and then it's gone. Yeah. I, frankly, I wish there was, Bethann. It's one of the areas that I think we have been critical of our government in many different departments. It's just been confusing. They've not been doing the best job with communications, whether it's on unemployment or housing benefits or um, they've been doing all kinds of things and not, and, and not communicating. Um, I, I have personally in our office has been kind of really advocating for that since day one about the need, both on COVID, right, to do more public education on COVID. And I think we're seeing, um, I think we're seeing the problem with where they did not do that public education well now with the spike in cases. Right. Um, you know, Masking we in particular. Right. So, um, you know, we, you know, have been advocating since March and April that they needed to do a lot more community education and not just us. There's been others kind of screaming, saying you need to do a lot more community education, both on COVID, what it is, how to protect yourself from it, and on all these benefits that you're trying to put in place to support families. And right. it needs to be in multiple languages. You cannot just do a press conference because many parts of our community does not look at that, right? There's geeky people like myself and probably you, Beth Ann, that do tune into press conferences, but especially our new immigrant community, our non-English speaking community, right. Right. Um, many parts of our community, some of our most vulnerable parts of our community, we've been yelling since March and April saying, you have to work with like community health workers. We have to work with trusted community groups that can translate things, that can get, you know, at a real community level, it can help spread do messaging and get the word out. And I would honestly say to me, it's one of the failures of our state government right now, that that has not happened. They've done some very high level, right? You saw some like ads, some nicely made TV ads come out about like wash your hands. Mm -hmm not the other pieces on, um, that have come out. And, and I don't think they've effectively used um, trusted community leaders, churches, community health community centers. Community health centers, right. You know, different yeah. different leaders in from for different, um, who speak different languages. And, and who know their population well. Right. They, they did not um, kind of want to do that. And, and I think we're seeing the impact right now, that there's a lot of folks that both, did not get great messaging about COVID. Still, I think we're working on it. You know, why is it important to wear a mask? How to do that correctly? And then, and then there are quite a few resources, but especially also 
a lot of our vulnerable populations need extra help to navigate that, right? If there's a lot of paperwork to fill out, if you have a college exactly. degree and speak English, you're probably okay yeah. filling out the paperwork. If you are not an English speaker, you probably need some assistance to navigate. Um, I mean, I would, if it was in another language, I would need help filling out paperwork if it was in Italian, right? Like I just, um, right. Would. So what do you, what I, do you think we can do about this? You know, now at, at a very grassroot level mm-hmm. where clearly the need is there. And if, government has failed to be able to do this. And yeah. I mean, not all government, I don't want to paint with a huge no, brush, but right. largely seeing that that didn't happen. And now it's happening in fits and spurts. And with the recognition that we need to be able to translate this into different languages, we're seeing some of the, the masking and the washing of hands and the distancing, all yeah. that coming out in different languages. But it seems like you know that really should have been done months and months and months ago, but right. yippee, it's happening now. Right. But in terms of childcare, and really reaching families mm-hmm. with young children, that still seems to be really lagging. And I, I'm just wondering yeah. what it is you see that might be able to stem that a little bit better right. and get these messages out there. Well, I mean, what we've been asking for, there is quite a bit of federal money in Hawaii right now that has not been spent. Oh, the CARES money has not been spent. Yeah, yes. I mean, like we even are part of the Working Families Coalition. We have a petition going, pushing the governor. There are millions of dollars of CARES money that have not been spent and will either be returned to the feds or some of it they're going to try to like refill the unemployment a little bit. Uh, we've been pushing hard saying you need to push out, you know, you can ask community groups to do some things on their own. Like we have, we've been doing a know your rights campaign for several weeks now, just with no funding, just to do it. Uh, Other groups like we are Oceana have started to kind of step up and try to do some outreach to the Micronesian community. That's hard to do though, if you don't have any resources. And we've said the CARES Act money is there for exactly these purposes. Give some funding to a group like we are Oceana or to the community health centers, or to some um, church groups, or, you know, community centers, right? Um, because they could actually, with even small amounts of money, you know, high, pay an outreach person, uh, develop some materials and push them out in language. But it's hard to do that with no resources. Like if you can't, don't have, some people can volunteer, but honestly, when we have a difficult economic time right now, why would we not be using those monies to pay people who may have been like laid off from another job, but they speak two languages and they could be hired to go out to community and help translate at testing sites or help to, you know, get the word out of the community. But I think asking people to volunteer and do that right now is a borderline criminal, in my opinion. Like why would we be asking often low income community people who may have lost their job to volunteer their time while we're sitting on $300 million of money that right. could be used right. to pay those people to go out and right. translate, right? So, so why do you think they're being so tight-fisted? Because, I mean, clearly this that part of it is in the public yeah. sphere that we're sitting on all this money, that we've yes. been sitting on this, this money for a long time. And clearly we have needs out there uh, for translators, for people to be in outreach various positions, uh, clearly with contact tracing, all of these issues yeah. And yet we still seem to be sitting on so much money. And when it, you know, is dealing with the health and the welfare and the well-being of, of families and children, which we say in, in, in Hawaii, we care so deeply about, yeah. but we don't seem to have the actions that truly back that up. And this seems to be a case in point. Yeah. Well, and I'll be honest. I think this pandemic, from my perspective, has really exposed 
the problems with our governmental bureaucracy. Like the government has a very difficult time and this is different levels. This is city and county. This is um, virtually every department in the state, state that we have has a very difficult time um, like executing contracts in a timely fashion, even with, because we were under emergency orders, even with like procurement regulations dropped, um, other states have been able to move money much more expediently. Um, Hawaii seems, it's just very slow, right? They're very mm -hmm. concerned about how to do contracting, how to, who can do it, how to do it, how many lawyers need to look at it. Um, things are things are moving, but often really so. Like we've seen that, for example, with um, childcare monies. So there was there's money for families we talked about, but we also had an initial twelve million dollars, and then the legislature actually put in another fifteen million dollars to help childcare providers because nationally we're very concerned that childcare providers are often small businesses, often run by women, like out of their house, and that um, in a similar vein as like restaurants about 30% of childcare providers said they did not think they could stay open um, just because they have less kids. They're serving less children right now and their costs have gone up, right? Because of all the cleaning and PPE. Uh, so there was sort of bailout money for childcare providers. It's DHS is now getting those monies out now, mm. but they have those monies from April. So they're just really now in like September starting to slowly, it's just really slow. Um, so, Deborah, I wanted to stop you there for a second because, you know, seeing the fact that we've had the underbelly of our, our state government, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> sorry, and others exposed, it's not like we didn't know that some of this stuff was already there, but now this became far more public, yeah. far more accessible to so many people, and now we're looking at having, you know, the next legislative session only, uh, you know, roughly what, three, four I mean, months away. And all of that is really getting started now in terms of creating policy. So how do you think this is all going to affect what we're going to see the next time around when we come to January and find that we're in another legislative session, learning what we've learned in all of this time, seeing the, the extended sessions and, you know, the, the three-part session that we had yeah. this time, as well as the special COVID committees and those who testified before them. And also, in, in many ways, these committees taking the reins and doing things that previously they really hadn't done. Uh, for right. example, you know, the, the Senate committee doing the surprise visit at DOH, other things yeah. like that, which we've never really seen them do in this way mm -hmm. in such a concerted effort. What do you think all this means in terms of kids and family and childcare and what we may see for the health and well-being of families and kids as we're going to be moving through the next four or five months. Yeah. Well, I do think what we know from like the Great Recession is that prevention programs, things that serve low-income communities, things that serve children and families are often the first programs to be cut. They're often not deemed to be essential um, for whatever reasons. And I think we are gearing up to really try to um, put forward like a kids and families first, our most vulnerable first, um, we think it's probably wise to take a look at, you know, do we need film tax credits right now? Or could we use that? I think it's like $30 million a year that we give out. Could we use that more wisely for other things? Um, right. I think 
it's it's also a bit of a reckoning that we did not invest in some of that infrastructure, right? You're hearing that from Department of Health right now. They're using like two fax machines and broken databases. I mean, this this is the problem, right? We have really old infrastructure. Um, yes, can you say when computers? Just, yeah, right. <laughs> I think I think we didn't take the time to invest in those things. We invested in other things, and I think maybe this is a wake up call. Kind of in the same way that you know how um, how many years ago we had that huge sewage spill in to the Alawai, and we realized we had not invested in our sewer pipes. And oh look, when you don't invest in keeping, you don't see the pipes. But oh look, they're really important. And all of a sudden we have this, you know, environmental and health disaster that we have raw sewage just pouring right. into the olive oil. Right. But you know, Deb, like that was something that you can say, you know, pipes aren't sexy and yes, they're hidden and all of that. And I see your very clear analogy about yeah. this. But in this state where we talk about, you know, Keiki and family and Ohana, I mean we say those words all yeah. the time. It seems like now we're finding out that they really don't have deep meaning except in certain populations where that drives everything but that's certainly not something that really migrates to yeah. the governmental level and that seems to be such a, a disconnect in a very distasteful way yeah. given who we think we are and i think what we've really seen is that we have a mirror that we're looking mm -hmm. into and we don't like seeing the ugliness that's being reflected in it i think that's very right and i think we often talk the talk but I think it's now how do we as a community push them to you know, walk the walk. That we need to, we know, we've been yelling for years that we need to invest in our schools more. That we need to in, invest in early, in, um, you know, early care and education, education. For, for public preschool. We talk about it a lot. And then yet at the same time, we're like, well, let's dump millions of dollars into a new prison instead. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think it's, do we really push on this? I do think we probably will have to have like a reckoning or a mirror about taxes. Like, are we, I, uh, we've had some initial conversations around tax fairness, right? Do we look at increasing taxes on high earners? We have some very wealthy people in this state, uh, some very wealthy businesses in the state. How do we, you know, try to adjust, um, and bring in new kinds of revenue, right? Um, I think that's going to be a major concern as when we're as dependent as we are on tourism and who knows when tourism's coming back, where are we going to generate money um, to, to run our, our community and, and what's essential. So now as you know, we're looking at the end of our time that we're going to spend together today, I really want to hear from you what it is that you think that is possible now in, in both the short term and in the longer term, we've talked around a lot of these things in terms of, of public policy and issues mm -hmm. that you've seen happen and th initiatives that you've done. But for a family that's really hurting right now, for people who are dealing with all the questions that we mm -hmm. talked about earlier, what do you think is really possible for them in, in the short term now? And what do you see happening as we move into 2021? So for 2020, I would say there actually right now are a fair number of resources for families. There's never enough, but there's quite a lot. And so on our website, um, there's a lot of information how they can access assistance for housing relief, unemployment, which we know there's a backlog, food relief, childcare relief. And I think, again, we should be normalizing. Like there's not shame. We have these things in place for any of us who need it, right? And if there's times when we need it, let's use them. 
Our concern is that many of those things are short term right now. And so, you know, we're going to have them till the end of the year, Bethann, and, and then what? Like, is it going to be and this massive what, right? cliff? So honestly, I think we are advocating strongly that this is a great opportunity for us to advocate that everyone should have sick days all the time, right? It shouldn't end, it shouldn't end on January 1, 2021, especially now, I think we're realizing if you are sick, you should be able to have a paid day off to go to work. And if you're, because if you're a low wage worker, if you don't make very much, you got to go to work or you're not going to eat that week. Right. So, right. And I um, want to just stop you there just for one minute, because it, again, watching the inconsistencies of the messages that have been put out there, all of those, when you're sick, stay home. Well, if you're telling people when they're sick, stay home and they're wondering how they're going to feed their families, right. you know, that seems to be just empty words and hypocrisy. Right. Right. And so I think that's where, if we want to stop the hypocrisy, you have to ensure that every worker has at least some number of paid sick days for when they're sick or their child's sick. We don't want kids getting sent to school sick either, right, in this time. And for many of our workers, that's that's the choice they make. They don't have mm -hmm. sick days and it's a, it's a hard choice. Do I go to work? Because maybe I'm not that sick or my kid's not that sick. I think also we feel like we've seen in this time a real a better understanding of how essential child care is to the rest of our economy. You know, that's how do you open the economy if there's no no child exactly. care. Um, I think we've started some initial conversations for 2021 around ensuring universal child care. We have that in other countries. Um, it, it should not be a pipe dream, right? A lot of Canada has it, a lot of Europe has it, where access to maybe not 100% free, but affordable, quality, safe child care for all kids, birth up to school age is a general right because we also know families right now don't have options and are often putting their kids in whatever they can find even if it may or may not be safe um how do we make that we're seeing how do people go to work if they don't have child care and um it should be a government structure just like some other things that we've come to accept and say this is something that we all have access to i think those are two of the pieces that we're working on long term um that that we think would make Hawaii a better place to live and work and play. Like I think actually having having things like paid paid family leave, which we're seeing in more and more states, and paid sick leave in more and more states, and universal access or close to it access to childcare actually also makes us uh, a more attractive state for workers because we are seeing more and more states across the United States offering those benefits. And if you're a worker with kids and you think where is going to be a good place to live and work, right, right, those are right. very attractive things, you know, if I think about it. High cost of housing is a difficult one for us here. And that's, you know, we're working on some things there too, more challenging. In some ways, I think affording people time off if they're sick or need to do childcare and getting solid childcare options in place and early education is in many ways maybe easier than fixing our housing problem. Well, Deborah Zeisman, I think you really just talked at length about some of the issues that we always knew were there, but now we're getting a real lesson about what truly is important and those very basic things that create the kind of society that we've said for a long time we wanted or that we already thought that we were. So with the mirror that we're seeing now, uh, may it have some better reflections from all the work that you are doing with HICAN, and I certainly hope that we'll 
keep in touch and, and, talk, and talk to you more as we move into the fall and into 2021. And meantime, we'll be sure to post a lot of the information so that families who are hurting now can be able to find some of those resources that we talked about. So thank you so much and thank all the best so to you having. and your family. Yes, be well, wear your mask, wash your hands. Thank right. you so much, Bethann. My pleasure. And to all of you who joined us for this episode of From Anxiety to Clarity, thanks for being here. Be sure and share some of this information. We know a lot of families are hurting. And if you have an idea for a topic that we should cover, if you have some questions, please send them to me. My email is KozlovB, that's K-O-Z as in zebra, L-O-V as in Victor, B as in boy, KozlovB at Sutter Health. Dot org. I will be sure to get you an answer and be very, very glad for your feedback too. In the meantime, have a good week and we will see you next week from Anxiety to Clarity. Aloha. <laughs>